Welcome to the Healing Trauma Podcast. I'm so glad you're here. I'm Monique Coven. I'm the host. I'm a certified trauma recovery coach. I've worked for over 25 years as a social worker, and I'm a survivor. The Trauma Healing Podcast is for those who are healing trauma and finding ways to navigate through this messy, uncomfortable, and challenging recovery process. The intent of the podcast is to provide helpful information to validate, inspire you, support you on your healing recovery journey. You're going to hear stories from other survivors, trauma experts, and trauma therapists in the field that will provide information on effective trauma healing modalities, tools, techniques, skills, all in hopes of helping you heal. If you'd like to find out more information on trauma recovery healing, please go to my website at www.cptsdcoach.com. I also have an Instagram and Facebook page at cptsdcoach. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the podcast. So I recorded uh, an amazing conversation with my friend and colleague therapist, Esther Schwartz. And Esther's been with us before. And this time we are talking about what it's like to grow up with emotionally immature parents and how that can really have an impact on on us and and how we feel and how we feel in our body, how we interact with other people. And so we're going to be diving into that and looking a little bit at ways that we can start to begin to heal. So I hope you really enjoy this conversation. You can support this podcast for the equivalent of a cup of coffee by clicking on the link in the show notes at buymeacoffee.com slash healing trauma. Your support will help keep these trauma-informed episodes coming. Thank you for supporting this podcast. Hi, Esther. Welcome back to the podcast. Hi, Monique. So, so excited to be here again. I'm so happy to have you back. I loved our last conversation and I recently heard you talking about uh, on the topic of emotionally immature parents. And I said, we have to have this conversation on this podcast because really when we have parents, uh, when we come from trauma that comes from our caregivers, often it feels like something is lacking or that we are, um, that they're immature in some way that sometimes we feel like we're the parent and we're parenting a child or adolescent. So can you kind of define for us what is emotionally immature parents in your opinion? Yes. And I'm very happy to speak about this topic as I have been, it's funny, I've been speaking about this a lot lately. It's a lot of dialogue, a lot of back and forth. Many questions, many people have been reaching out and saying like, can you please speak about this more? So obviously it's a very prevalent topic. So why don't I first define what does a, an emotionally mature parent look like? An emotionally mature parent is usually an adult, someone that's a grown up who is there to nurture and help their children 
go through their healthy developmental stages. Now, no parent is perfect. And this is something that I want to start this conversation with. A good, a healthy, good enough parent that is attuned and has healthy attachment to their child, that can see their child, who they are, can hear them. That's usually a healthy, emotionally mature parent. Now, what happens is, is that many times we have emotionally immature parents. We're, they are in a grown-up body, but they emotionally cannot be attuned with or attached to their, to their children. You know, it's those parents that the children will always have to walk around in eggshells. They have a very, very hard time showing empathy for their children, and it's difficult for them to see their child's needs. The biggest, biggest thing that I've seen with emotionally immature parents is they are constantly dysregulated. And I recently did a live with Jean um, on this topic. Um, I can give you our Instagram page at the end of this conversation for anyone that wants to hear it. And one of the, I was doing research and trying to read more about emotionally immature parents and this kept coming up again and again, dysregulation. Now, a child learns to regulate through their parents. We learn to co-regulate. But if my parent is constantly dysregulated, dysregulated, it's really, really hard for a child to get regulated. That's how we learn, right? That's how we learn to calm down. That's how we learn skills from them. Now, there are different types of parents, obviously. There, you know, we have the driven parent who's the martyr, the one that's busy all the time. They get things done. They're the ones that kind of always know better. They will tell the children how things are supposed to be. And um, everyone tries to live up to their standards and the parents will live through the children, okay? I'm just gonna try to say this in short because you know I wanna have more of a conversation about this. You know, the opposite is the one that actually neglects the child, the one that builds a wall around them they actually don't have an interest in their child and it's, it's just too much for them where the child just doesn't exist. And obviously the child will start learning how not to draw attention to themselves because they don't want to irritate their parents. Um, the third parent is usually the passive one. This one is a very complicated relationship because these parents can seem very loving to their child. They could play with their child. They could be there for them. But when it comes to big emotions, they cannot be there because they're usually living with a partner that's dominant and they take precedence over everything. It takes over the whole family. So yeah, they, they're usually really good in like clothing, you know, giving the child clothing and food and taking care of their physical health. But when it comes to really big emotions, that's when it's very hard for them to be there for the child. And it could be very confusing for the child because I don't get it. Like this parent has been there for me. They play games with me. They've been nurturing me to an extent. But when it comes to the really, really big emotions, they can't be there. And obviously the last one is the egocentric parent. The one that really has a very low tolerance to stress. And they are the center of attention in the family. And everything revolves around this parent. There's usually a lot of enmeshment that happens between this parent. And um, they may you know, bait children against each other, have one favorite while another child is completely ignored. 
And these are usually the parents, you know, and again, I'm just kind of saying it in a nutshell, that they really, really, they're emotionally, their emotions are stunted. They cannot be their emotions for children. And this obviously has huge, huge, huge impact on children once they are, you know, once they become adults. I, I'm listening to the, all of this and the description of all of them and shaking my head because, you know, it's relatable and I'm sure people can relate to the different ones. And, and I'm thinking, wow, you know, that just, you can just see by listening how that would just create the stunted uh, impact of our, of, of, of our own emotions if we're raised in these kinds of environments where whether we're not allowed to feel them or uh, they're not, you know, the parent doesn't know how to deal with them, whatever, how that impacts our nervous system uh, and, our, and our emotions. So, wow. So where do we begin with that one? Um, I mean, what I hear is essentially, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're really, you're really uh, forced to shut down you're forced yeah. to shut down and not feel. And as we know, I mean, that can just create so many problems. And even when we think that it's okay, I'm going to get out of this house and I'm going to grow away from that and I'll have a healthy life when I grow up, um, we ourselves will not be equipped because we've never learned how to feel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. And, you know, maybe this could bring us into this discussion of, how does this impact a child? This has such a great impact on a child where the child that was dismissed feels like they're wrong. The biggest thing is that a child will learn that the gut instinct is not right. Something's wrong with them. They don't know how to trust their gut because they were always either being pushed away or being told that like, you don't know what you're talking about. I, I'm the one that knows what I'm talking about. There's usually a lot of um, suppressed anger. So these children will be confused. Sometimes they, you know, their anger goes inward, which will cause them to have depressive symptoms. And it's really hard. I mean, think of it, Monique, not being able to have a parent. Is, you know, we were wired this way. We were wired to be able to connect to our parents. They're our world when we're little children. They're the ones that give us direction. They're the ones that listen to us, that validate us. And if, you know, if I can't talk to my parents, I don't have that transparency, that, that openness, that, that honest communication. I may have been minimized. Imagine what that does to me as a child and how that shuts me down and what that does to me when I'm an adult. Yeah. You know, and many times children that grow up with emotionally immature parents will hear from the child, like, what do you want from me? You know, the child will complain or like, this is who I am. I just, I can't change who I am. Like, what do you want from me? You know, or go be busy, go do something. You know, children were not meant to come into this world and just like raise themselves or, or just know what to do. We don't know what to do. We learn from our caregivers, from their actions, from their behaviors. That's how we learn and that's how we grow. And these children many times will just not feel safe. They don't trust themselves, you know, and a big one is also not feeling good enough. That inadequacy. I guess I'm just not good enough because if I can't do things or I can't figure out things the way that I should, 
right? We, how do we learn how to figure out things? How do we learn about ourselves through our parents? But if there's no one there emotionally, I start feeling like I'm not good enough because I don't know how to do certain things. I don't know how to be. I don't know how to emotionally regulate myself. So therefore I become like, there's something wrong with me. There's also a big emptiness that many of them feel like they feel like they have this hole inside of them. And they're obviously constantly going to try to fill that hole of, you know, what is it? What am I lacking? You know, and I've, I've been with adults, adult children that will say, it's so weird, Esther, because I'm telling you, you don't understand. We were such a functional family. We had food on the table. My mom worked, my dad worked. It wasn't like we grew up in this dysfunctional, chaotic, nothing was there. It was really functional. Like my mom had a good job. My dad had a good job. They were, you know, well-known people. So why do I feel this hole? Why do I feel this emptiness inside of me? And a big part of it is because they realized emotions weren't dealt with. They were kind of like frozen in time. My parents were able to be there to an extent, but this part, which is such an essential part to a child's development, was not there. And that's when a child feels wrong. That's when they feel lonely. That's where they, that's where they feel not good enough. And many of them have this you know, hole inside where they say, you know, I'm going to fill it. They have this fantasy of if I will be, you know, you fill in the dash, good enough, pretty enough, lovely enough, skinny enough, rich enough, then I'm finally going to get it. And their whole life, they're racing and trying and, and, and trying to perform and trying to do different things just to be able to if I'm going to be, or if I can actually do this, and you see this many times with adult children that, you know, they can't make enough money because it's never enough. It's that hole they're trying to fill or, you know, body image. Like I can't be pretty enough or I can't be skinny enough because I'm trying to fill this empty hole. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, yeah, it, it, it's really part of that process because I think it's that, it's that reaching for, it's that yearning that, that these things will make me feel a sense of peace or worthiness um, only to find out that it, that it doesn't, it doesn't. Exactly, because yeah. it goes back to the, I couldn't, I couldn't figure it out or I couldn't get it right or my mom, mis- my mom didn't understand me or I need to be seen. I need to be seen because the greatest need a child has is to be seen and to be heard from their parents. So no amount of trying to be good enough and trying, you know, if I could be rich enough is going to take away that wound and is going to fill that emptiness and that hole. You know, and many adult children will recreate this childhood. They will recreate, they will be attracted to what feels familiar to them. And that's what's going to bring safety. So you know how they say, why is it like from all the people in the room, I ended up marrying the alcoholic? Or why is it from all the people in the room, I found that dysregulated person that's emotionally immature? Why? I was not going to do that. I knew what it was like to grow up with this because we recreate what's familiar to us. And that's what feels safe. And that's what I'm attracted to. That's a, that's a, that's a, sorry, Esther, that's such a hard one for people to get their mind around. It's like, 
really, because in their mind, they know that what they didn't like in childhood, um, they know that they missed certain things, what they didn't like in, in let's say, they, their parents, and yet find themselves in those relationships. And when you tell them that, um, you know, it's because your body, it's familiar, and it, 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 it is attracted to what is familiar, it's a, it's a hard concept to get your mind around. Yes, especially when you tell yourself, I'm never, that's never going to happen to me. And you know, Monique, what's even more fascinating is I've seen adults that found partners or attracted to partners who were relatively healthy and recreated their childhood. Like they, they, they almost like made it happen. And again, it's the subconscious. It's what feels familiar. It's what feels safe. And uh, I don't understand. Like, how did I get here? Like, yeah. what? how did this happen? Yeah. And I want, I want to add, Monique, that it's important, you know, for me to say this, that this whole conversation is not about bashing parents. You know, I feel like a tape recorder. I'm always repeating this, that it's not about bashing parents. It's not about saying, ooh, my parents were horrible. They're terrible people. This is about understanding, how did I get here? What happened? You know, in order for me to repair, I need to understand like, wait, what? Like, how did I get here? What happened to me? How did I get from point A to point B to point C? Yeah, agreed a hundred percent. Yes, absolutely. Um, and bringing, you know, what's not in our awareness to awareness so that we could start to, to work with it. Yeah. yeah. So, so what are some things that you could suggest uh, people can start to do to, um, to heal or to begin to heal? So, you know, there's no like, okay, this is step number one and this is step number two. Um, there are a few things that I would say is protocol to really healing and helping children that were impacted by emotionally immature parents. I'll name some of them and we can discuss them, you know, and how to, you know, because it's very nice to know the problem, but we want to live in the solution. We want to know, this is what happened to me. This is what I grew up with. How do I repair? How do I heal from this wound? How do I stop trying to just, you know, make unlimited amount of money? How do I stop you know, trying to obsess that, oh my gosh, I need to look more perfect or I need to act more perfect or my body needs to be incredible in order for people to love me. How do I actually start loving myself? So, you know, a big one is detaching, learning how to see parents for who they were, learning how to realize that we children are separate beings where we can actually step back and see ourselves and you know, this can be done with the help of a therapist or a coach. It can be very, you know, sometimes it can be hard to do this type of work on our own. And learning that we're not an extension of our parents, that we are our own person. And I want to say that we can love our parents, but we don't have to love, we don't have to like their behaviors. That's like a, a really, really big step and actually moving back and detaching and being able to see ourselves for who we were and who they were. So like sticking, you know, kind of like opening the glue, sticking away from each other, seeing them versus us. And, you know, it could be helpful by visualizing this. It could be helpful by 
taking pictures of yourself where you see the parent, you see a photo of your parents and you see a photo of yourself and seeing yourself, oh, we're two different entities. We're not the same person. That's one of the, the big ones. Another one is, you know, we speak about boundaries all the time is boundary work, really learning how to protect ourselves teaching our parents how we would have liked, we would like them to treat us. And, you know, this is not easy because, you know, one of the things I said about emotionally immature parents is that they're, they, they're dysregulated all the time. And something like this can cause a tremendous amount of dysregulation. Like what? You're going to tell me how I should treat you? Like I'm the parent. I hold the, I hold the cards here. I hold the pieces of this game, not you. You know, and this could be done with dignity. It could be done with um, gentleness. Also understanding that there's going to be backlash, but establishing how can this relationship work or do I need space or learning how to say, you know, well, you need to take me here and here. I'm so sorry, mom, but I'm not going to be able to do that for you. And knowing that the parent might get emotionally dysregulated and learning how to say, you know, I'm going to have to actually hang up the phone now. If this is how you speak to me, please don't speak to me this way. Learning how to put those boundaries. And it's not easy because like I said, the parent is, they're, they're acting like a child. They're going to throw a tantrum. They might start threatening the, you know, the adult child. They might start, well, you know, baiting other children against the child. Like, did you hear Monique went and she like, you know, who does she think she is that she's telling me that she can't do this. It's not easy but it's really doable if we learn how to stick with it, if we learn how to do this type of boundary work. Yeah, I'm just, I'm listening and I'm, I'm picturing like excitement at the idea of finally, you know, setting some boundaries and sticking up. And then that younger part in us just terrified because remembering all of the dysregulation and watching it and experiencing it and then not wanting to experience it again. So both of that happening, but, but I, I think it's so important to show our younger parts in the present that things are different now. And we are there for them. Our self is there for them. Who's the mature adult that can actually place these boundaries. And yes, Monique, that's such a good point of getting activated. These young parts getting activated, actually terrified because their whole life, imagine I've been playing this game, losing my sense of self and who I am just to be able to have my mom or dad look at me and see me. And here I am saying, nope, sorry, can't do that. Or it's not going to work. Knowing that we may get yelled at and knowing that it may cause a lot of dysregulation. And that's very scary for young parts. And that's why I'm a very big believer that when we do this work, we really have the right support. And the right support is not just having a therapist and a coach. It can mean friends, people from your support system, you know, like, having that person that you can reach out and say, look, I need to put a boundary with my parent. And I have this, my young part is like terrified. Can I just call you afterwards? Or can you just check in on me and say, Hey, Esther, how did it go? Or I'm there for you. So we know we have that support. That what you just said right there made my younger part smile. <laughs> Absolutely. So, yeah. so true. And, and, you know, if we look at our support system and see, do we have friends that are safe and nourishing? 
and and you know being able to do that is such a such a wonderful just such a wonderful thing that we could do today anything else um yes absolutely we have um the grief work grief work comes in you know when we have to do this type of repair work grief work is huge because suddenly we start realizing once we start detaching and we do the boundary work we realize that oh my gosh I am noticing right now that I lost the parent that I thought I had. I did think of it for so many years. I've been trying to do it in a certain way where I completely lost my sense of self to be able to connect, to be able to do something, to be able to have mom or dad love me. And suddenly I'm realizing like, wait a second, I just lost the parent that I tried so hard. And this is very hard for younger parts. And helping those young parts that were fantasizing about this wish about this image that they would have had like all these protectors that we put in place was that I should be able to oh maybe now maybe now I'm finally gonna have my mom oh maybe now you know and there's a lot of grief that goes into this it's very very painful of noticing acknowledging you know sometimes it's easier to dig our heads in the sand and be like well, they do send me cake sometimes, you know, or my mom does help me with my kids. Uh, maybe I can't vent to her or I can't speak to her about my emotional needs, but, you know, that loss is so difficult. And again, support, 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 not doing this alone, having that coach, having that therapist. And I am a big believer of people being able to do self-healing work once they kind of have their feet more set on the ground. But to start us off, I am a very big believer that we many times will need to get the proper help. It's very, very hard to do this alone. Yeah, Esther, I would I would say that 100% because just when we started, we talked about the impact that this has on the child is that they are alone. And so the repair work, I believe, is really showing that part that I'm no longer alone in these in this in this heaviness and in this trying to make sense and in this repair. Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. And you know that part of it is also when you're sitting with a therapist or a coach, practicing with them. You know, if you're afraid to speak up, if you're afraid to do certain things, practice of how would this actually be where you know we can mirror and you know one of us could be the mom or the dad and actually practice how to do that. But that grief, the grief is heavy. The grief is hard, but I do want to say it's doable. And sometimes it hurts more and sometimes it hurts less. And many times when we, we did a lot of grief work and we are already up to a certain place of recovery, it could still smack us in the face. And that that's okay. That's normal. That's part of the process. You know, the grief part, the grief work is also what wasn't. Not, oh my gosh, like I wish mom, you know, could have done this or that, what wasn't? The fact that I, I didn't, I wasn't able to, the fact that I lost my sense of self, the fact that I have this hole inside of me, the fact that I may have recreated relationships that are, that are so familiar because that's what felt safe to me. And you know what? The fact that we may even have been emotionally immature parents to our children, that hurts and that can cause a lot of grief. And this is also very common that if I grew up with emotionally immature parents, 
I may have been that way to my children before I found healing. And understanding that it's okay, it hurts, but we can repair. As we heal, we can repair. Yes, we can repair. Yes, yeah. So this was, this was so helpful, uh, Esther. Is there anything you want to add before we... Yeah, I'm going to... Um, let me just finish, let me just finish um, talking about what other things we can do in order to heal. Like, for example, a big one is healing space, taking the time to heal. You know, sometimes it could be a period of time where once I'm trying to make those boundary work, boundaries work or once I'm detaching or once I'm working through that grief it's really hard for me to actually have a connection with the parents at this time so this may include a small separation where I can be around safe people and to nurture me to take care of me to cry about it to grieve about this and knowing that I am going to reconnect at some point this is not forever in some cases that are very, very toxic, you know, cutoff is necessary because it's just impossible to be able to build any form of standards to make this relationship work. And another one is inner child work. Lots and lots of inner child work where we're healing those wounds of our inner parts of the, our system, you know, and getting to know all those parts that were wounded and that were hurt and listening to them and seeing, you know, what is it that I would have needed? What is it that I could have used? And being able to do that for ourselves. Um, another one is also, you know, recalibrating the relationship. Once I'm in a better place, how would I want to reset this relationship with my parents? What's the best way possible that I can do this? On your terms. Together, you know, sometimes we may need outside help to be able to repair that. And a big one is also becoming our own loving parent. That even if I rebuild this relationship with my parents, remember, they may have not done the work. They are still the emotionally immature parents. So I can actually become my own loving parent. Myself could become a great mommy and daddy for myself, for those young parts that really, really, really needed them. We can do that for ourselves. And I know that when I introduce this to my clients or when I speak about this, sometimes people are like, what, me? How can I become my own loving parent? You know, my mom should have done that. My dad should have done that. How am I supposed to do that? But I really believe that once we nurture and help all these parts, we have a self that can actually be there for us. And, you know, I want to give a personal example of how we can become our own loving parent. Many times when I parent my own child, you know, I have parts that get activated. Like, are you kidding me? Like, I never got this or we never got this. So when we're parenting or doing a good parenting, you know, where we're emotionally mature, closing our eyes and visualizing that we're also doing this for ourselves. So whatever age your child is, whatever stage they're in, you know, in their developmental stages, you can actually have in mind that I'm doing this for my little Esther. I'm doing this for my 12-year-old, my 13-year-old. You know, I recently had a, I'll share this, where my daughter, we had a doctor's visit for my daughter. And she, had a, she has a lot of anxiety around going to the doctor. She's, you know, one of these highly sensitive children. And um, 
I noticed myself, you know, she had a lot of questions and she, she was, you know, I prepared her and I spoke to her and um, we went to the doctor and I actually brought it up to the doctor and I, I told her that, you know, my daughter's anxious and maybe she can answer some of her questions. And I was sitting there and my child was asking the doctor questions and I was watching this dialogue go on between them. And I suddenly felt the tears come up and I was like, oh my gosh, Esther, why are you crying? And for me, it was just that, just sinking into that, like being that loving mommy for myself and showing my team of how it could be that I'm here and I could take you to the doctor and we can ask the doctor questions. And she can answer, you know, our questions and it could be such a safe experience. And just watching my child leave with her head up high, her shoulders, you know, like up tall. She felt so good about herself. It was such a beautiful experience. It was a beautiful experience for my, for that young part that didn't, may have not gotten that experience. We experienced it too. That's so beautiful. We totally do. I was thinking about um, so I, I have twins and when they were um, small and I used to read to them, I had one on one side, one on the other. And so, you know, we're reading a really cute book and it has all kinds of graphics in it. And I'm telling you, I didn't realize it then, but I realize it now when I look back that there was actually three of us there. Oh, I know. So Absolutely. So and I, when I think about it, she was there and she was smiling and she was taking in all of that, the safety of that, the comfort of that, the fun of that, the love of that. And, and I had triplets at that time. And uh, yeah, and I think that 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 can happen. And that can be very, very healing. Uh, for yes. us. And I've heard this many times where people tell me, well, Esther, I never want to have kids, or I'm only having one kid. And I'll be like, okay, you know, if that's what works for you, they're like, no, no, no. I mean, I really, really, I would much rather have more kids, but I don't want to have children because I never, ever want them to experience what I experienced. Or there's no way I can be a good mom to them because I had an awful mom. And that is very far from the truth because I believe that children can be our biggest, biggest healing factors. When I parent my child differently, I changed the generational tune. I changed the story for myself and for my child. And it could be the, and yes, it's hard, but it can be the most reparative, reparative process that I could do that for my child. And remember, don't forget that when you're doing it for your child to visualize that you're doing it for those young parts, you're doing it for your, for you, for the ones that didn't have that, for the ones that missed out on life. And sometimes, you know, it brings up a lot of grief and that's normal, but that's part of healing. And that's part of becoming a very, you know, a healthy, mature adult. I love that. And I loved how we, in, you know, we, we intertwined uh, inner child work because that is definitely part of the healing in the present. So thank you so much, Esther. Pleasure. Pleasure, Monique. Thank you so much for doing this. And bringing so much awareness to, to, to all of us and all amazing, fascinating people that you always bring on to your podcast and to just have a lot of strength to keep doing it. Thank you. So tell us, Esther, if people want to find out about your work or get in touch with you, where can they find you? So, you know, I always say the best, the best places to just, you know, look on my Instagram page. I share a lot of information that I work with Esther Schwartz. 
lmsw and my email address is on my homepage. If anyone needs to reach me, um, that's the best way to get in touch with me. And yeah, for today, that's, that's the best place to reach out. Great. All right, thanks, Esther. Wherever you are on your healing journey, trauma recovery coaching might be supportive for you. One of the first things we need when we're healing from trauma is to learn how to feel safer in our experience and in our body so that we can become more comfortable being present and feeling secure. Part of the work that I do is teaching you about nervous system regulation and much more. To find out about my individual coaching support, you can visit my website at www.cbtsdcoach.com. Thank you.